Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. All right, look, I know you want to get to the podcast. I'm going to keep this short. This is normally the time when I ask you guys to donate to Opera Box Score. This week, it's different. This week at WNUR, our host radio station in Chicago, it's Phonathon. The station's entire operating budget for the next year comes from Phonathon. Our goal this year, $30,000. You can help. Call this number, 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Or WNUR.org. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Your donation is what helps keep WNUR going. Your donation is what helps keep Opera Box Score going. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, hey, welcome to America's Talk Radio Show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. Tonight, our announcer, Norm Waddell, joins us live. Yes, L-I-V-E live tonight on the show. We're going to talk sports, voiceovers, theater, yeah, and hell yeah, we're going to talk about some opera. Plus, don't miss hearing what book I'm going to ask him to read to you. That's at the end of the show. Stay tuned for that. 20 minutes, Monday evening quarterback, creative consultant, and co-host Oliver Camacho has a thirsty rave review for Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin at Lyric Opera of Chicago in a revival of the 1997 Robert Carson production starring Lyric's community ambassador, Ana Maria Martinez. Plus, Norm gives you his own reviews of two other lyric shows. Then at 9.40 p.m., it's the two-minute drill. All the opera headlines from the past week that you need to know. Got a great show for you tonight. Hey, before we get into it, let me let you know that it's Phonathon this week at WNUR. All right, Phonathon, what is it? Sounds exactly like the thing where you give money to the station. Hey, look, our entire operating budget comes from Phonathon. It started February 25th. The goal, $30,000. Here's how you give. 847-866-WNUR is the number to call. 847-866-9687. Even easier than that, WNUR.org. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page and just click on the link there. You can give. No PSAs tonight, by the way, because it's Phonathon. I got some little fun facts for you that you can learn about who else has been doing stuff on WNUR. Right now, we're time to talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Norm Waddell, my guest on the show this week. He's the winner of a non-equity Joseph Jefferson Award for Best Supporting Actor. He's the voice that tells you our show is live from Chicago. Norm Waddell, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, George. This is a test. Had this been an actual emergency, I'd be talking a lot faster. (laughs) How many... (laughs) Have you ever had to say that? Because you've done TV, you've done broadcast, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I've done radio, yeah, back when it was all AM. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I started uh, doing radio uh, right out of high school uh, at a um, easy listening FM station when FM first came around. 
uh, playing Ray Conniff and uh, Percy Faith and uh, Bert Campfort and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How did you end up in Chicago? Because oh, you're wow. not from here. No, uh, I was born in Western Pennsylvania, a place called Grampian, named after the Grampian Hills of Scotland, population okay. 300. <laughs> One red light and two gas stations. And then uh, there was, we, we lived there and my family were coal miners. And then when they did away with uh, strip mining of the land, uh, we ended up in New Jersey, having never seen a, uh, a shopping cart before we left our little town, population 300 in Pennsylvania. We went to the uh, local mall and started riding around in shopping carts as if they were bumper cars and they asked us to leave. Uh, so so I, I kept going back and forth from Pennsylvania to New Jersey to, to go to finish high school and then um, did a short stint in the military and then ended up in New York City selling catheters, ureterals, and dial bags, urological supplies. Uh, for the, the people who invented the, uh, uh, the catheter, and they came up with the Teflon-coated catheter, and we would use a, a, a Teflon frying pan to illustrate to the nurses how that would be an advantage, of ease of insertion. So I was making enough money as a salesman in New York City to uh, hook up with a fellow salesperson at the same company. And I wanted to, we wanted to investigate the buying of a, of a radio station. So I had a cousin in Georgia who had been like the Sandman out of Buffalo, New York, and uh, he'd been in broadcasting his entire life, and he was the station announcer and engineer for WRBL and TV3 in Columbus, Georgia. So I went down to talk to him, and he made points like, they might sell you the station and not the tower or make sure you get the license and all that kind of thing. And while I was there, as a joke, I sat on the anchor desk and uh, read some news and when I went back to New York three weeks later, the news director called and asked me if I wanted to come to Georgia and be a, a reporter for that station. So I did. Um, that was at the time of, if you remember, William Calley from the Vietnam War era. So the Calley trial. Uh, I interviewed George Wallace, <clears throat> the, uh, the big racist guy, right. governor who actually ran for president. So this is, <clears throat> the, this is the Southern connection, because when I've listened to you know, your body of work, and we got some clips that we're going to play, uh-huh. I mean, when you do a Southern accent, I mean, you nail it. You absolutely well, nail it. there are 12 it. different dialects for Southern accents. Atlanta is a little drawn out. East Tennessee's all up in your nose. <clears throat> and then you know, the... Uh, the other regions of the of the country are, have their own little special way about going about it. Uh, what was your first voiceover then that you did in terms of like an ad? ad? Well, uh, I was by this time I was in Nashville and I had been. Uh, remember Charles Carrollt on CBS? He did an Very on the road. Vaguely. It was thing called On the Road. Okay. So for the local CBS station in Nashville, I did I on the Road with Norm Waddell, and. Uh, I actually had a commercial on the air that would say, uh, don't miss Norm Waddell's Eye on the Road reports weeknights on Eyewitness News. And the little southern kids who lived next to me uh, misunderstood the commercial. And when I would come out in the morning to go to work, they would yell, Norwood, Mr. L, put us on TV. (laughs) (laughs) They thought Norm Waddell was Norwood L. (laughs) So um, at that time, most major department stores like Neiman Marcus or... The, the store there was called Kastner Knott. Some people may have heard of that. They were, they were great big on full-page ads in the newspaper. So the, um, even though I was in news and, and I was working on, I was shifting into the promotion department, 
the salespeople at the station were trying to get more and more stores to buy broadcast advertising instead of print. So they would have me read the commercials for, and one of the first things I did was uh, Kastner Knot in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And then, and then I would try to, uh, because the, the, that read was only at Kastner Knot. So I would go to local bars and try to pick up dates by going up and whispering in their ear, only at Kastner Knot. And they would say, oh my God, that's the, that's the voice of Kastner Knot. Well, if you if you want to hear a sexy read, we we got to listen to the Caesar's Palace one first. Oh. All right, let's check this out. Well, look who's hot tonight. Not you. Now that's Claire. Claire and your numbers, they go together like high and five. How lovely for them. Oh, now the dinner bell's ringing. Oh, now the wedding bell's ringing. Oh, now the words... I should get out more ringing in your head. The life you were meant to live. Caesars Windsor. I love that the ad is for Caesars Windsor. If anyone's been to Windsor, Canada, it's a total hole. <laughs> well, no. No, come on. Growing up in Michigan, the reason you went to Windsor was so you could gamble underage, drink underage, and go to the Canadian ballet. I haven't been. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot that we talk about in ads that I've never experienced. I I just looking at your at your website voxershorts.com by the way. Mm-hmm. You're listening to operaboxscore.com on WNUR. Talking with Norm Waddell who is a voiceover king including doing the voiceovers for our show. When you're doing a voiceover, are you playing a character? How do you approach it? Well, it, uh, you, t- you take direction from the, the difference between... If you do a film, you have a director. If you do a stage play, you have a director. In the voiceover business, you don't necessarily... The best thing you can, you can get is someone who has years of experience in the business and who knows how to motivate and direct talent. But mostly you don't. You're directed by the writer who has a voice in their head or maybe the engineer will chime in with a take on it. Uh, sometimes you get direction like, you know, you're giving us moccasin and we were thinking sneaker. Or can you go up on the end of the? No, it's a one-syllable word. Uh, can, you, uh, can you adjust your phlegm? I get, used to get adjust your phlegm. Uh, that's what they want you to take the rasp. Clear your throat is what yeah, they're talking okay, about. Okay, got it. But it, it's great. It's a very polite way of putting it. Well, they're, they're great. They're well-intended people who are just basically don't have training in how to direct someone from, you know. I want to I want to play you another clip that you did. And we're kind of jumping the gun here. This is probably the most famous one that you've done. This is a very famous ad, but I want to play it now because I want to ask you a follow-up question on it. Check mm-hmm. this out. It's 3 a.m. and your children are safe and asleep. But there's a phone in the White House and it's ringing. Something's happening in the world. Your vote will decide who answers that call. Whether it's someone who already knows the world's leaders, knows the military, someone tested and ready to lead in a dangerous world. It's 3 a.m. and your children are safe and asleep. Who do you want answering the phone? I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. Oh, Hillary Clinton, where are you now? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that was a that was a famous ad. What's your what's? It's still talked about today. Uh, at the time it was done. Political experts, it will go down and it'll be in the archives as uh, along the status of the Goldwater ad where the little girl put a flower in the end of the gun. Um, 
it was the political experts call that the ad that really motivated Obama to get off his butt and really start campaigning and taking serious international things. Right. Uh, unfortunately, it was for Hillary, but it, it, it uh, helped Obama get going and get get elected. And, and it's when they did the um, the skit on Saturday Night Live about the 3 a.m. ad, they, I, I'm sitting at home listening to it and I'm like, you could have just called. I would have done that. <laughs> I got somebody impersonating my voice. But but what happens like if would you ever do an ad for a product that you didn't believe in or would you ever do a political ad for a candidate that you didn't support? Like where's that line for no, you? No, at the moment because for me Republicans are so wrapped up in the moral agenda, I just I won't read any Republicans right now, only Democrats. Actually, at when the last time the Democrats controlled the House and the Congress, uh, I was responsible for a lot of those people getting elected, especially a lot of people out west who were maybe pro-gun, but uh, but still Democrats. Um, they wanted to hear a voice like yours telling them to vote for their Democrat. Well, this is, uh, credible, reliable, dependable happens in lower registers, so that's why you tip- typically have older men with slightly raspy voices talking to people about who to vote for. And, and that's a funny sidebar story. And much of the footage in the 3 a.m. Hillary Clinton ad is stock footage that they just bought from, uh, like, Getty Images or something it like shows. that. I don't know if it was from Getty Images, but the, the girl who was the little girl in the bed at the time that spot aired is now 21, and she's able to vote. And it turns out she's a Republican. And so they're, they're interviewing her. And she's uh, she's going on and on about I would never vote for Hillary Clinton, blah, 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 blah. Plus, they use this guy with this raspy voice, this old raspy voice on the like that was in her control. Um, So it was but they still talk about that ad today. It will go. It's said that it's going to it'll go down in history as a a real significant political ad. Opera Box Score, of course, is a show that mixes sports with opera in its own way. Here is a a sports ad that you did. I want to check this out and see what our listeners think of this. For the record, a fan's love of the race has no finish line. Bush Beer. For 23 years running. Proud sponsor of the NASCAR Bush Series. Smooth and refreshing as a mountain stream. I love that guitar lick as well. What's the most bizarre product that you've had to do an ad for? Like the truly... Well, this is a true story. Whenever I was in uh, uh, Georgia, now this is when Lester Maddox was, if anybody knows Lester Maddox, he used to sell axe handles in, in his restaurant to uh, to abuse uh, black people. <laughs> I, I never know when to believe you, by no, the way. No, serious. And, and George Wallace, I interviewed George Wallace whenever he was standing and also after he was shot when he was in a, in a wheelchair. Uh, another another racist. Um, there was a, a political guy in... in um, Georgia, that asked me to read a political ad for him that advocated shooting Mexicans when they crossed the border. And I said, I can't read this. And he said, well, is it too long? It's, yeah, it's beyond zero. 
So, yeah, but you, as a talent, you if you really have things that you don't want to read, like maybe you don't want to do fur or you don't want to do, they're still auditioning for the Marlboro Man to be aired in, uh, and I get that audition every once in a while. But I don't, I, I, I wouldn't read cigarettes. Have you done movies? Movie? Uh, I had a, I had a part in the client, and um, that is to say, the voiceovers for a movie. I mean, the like the movie trailer voice has got to be the in most. In the world, exactly. But yeah. how do you do that? How do you, oh, yeah, how do you right. get this it? Is, like uh, everybody can find their movie trailer voice. Here's all you have to do: you start real high. Ah, the movie trailer voice is the place where you can still sustain speaking right before the whisper. He was a hooker for the FBI. Now he's a man on the run. Leave George a message and he'll return your call ASAP. Followed by a beep. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to practice that. Well, do, do it now. See if you can do it I'm, now. Uh, and, but you've got to be intimate with the mic. Hey. <laughs> In a world. In a world. My voice isn't low enough. I'm a tenor. No, it doesn't have to be low enough. It's, 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 not, about, it's not about that. It's about... It's about the intimacy of about it. About the intimacy of it. Yeah. I'll keep practicing on yeah. that. Speaking of sex, in your bio it says you had sex on an episode of Matlock. Matlock, yeah. I was a sex addict uh, celebrity. I was a disc jockey. And, um, you know, the, the thing about being murdered on Matlock is it's great because you always end up in the promo Either you, your body, or the chalk outline of your body is on the you, Matlock You get a little promo. bit of extra cash for being on the promo. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, the girl who was uh, involved with me that actually murdered me in Matlock uh, was said to be Jerry Seinfeld's ex-girlfriend. So, Wow. And, and uh, the uh, time I spent talking with Andy Griffith, uh, Andy Griffin was uh, spent talking about black lung and people who used to be on Hee Haw, if you remember that show. I do remember Hee Haw. That, wow. It was the country laugh-in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but hey, before we wrap the segment up, you are, of course, a storefront theater legend as well. I mean, oh, you have legend. No, seriously. Jeff Award winner. You've, yeah. I mean, you've done shows with so many. with you. Uh, Lakeboat. With, with Lakeboat over at, at Steep. Steep. Yeah. Oh, you'd done stuff at Steep way before then. Though well, you 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 did, George, um, I'm trying to work with you here. I, I know, I know, man. Give you some credit. I'm, and I'm some... in radio now. Oh, you you, <laughs> you got anything coming up that yes. we can see? You I'm in? going to do a, an original play written by Connor uh, uh, Connor McNamara, who was uh, the character Pepper in uh, Golden Boy, which is what I won the Best Supporting Actor for. I played the father. Uh, so he wrote this play called Scapegoat, and in it, I play a um, Bernie Sanders style senator who is being encouraged to retire as a senator. He's been a lifelong senator, so he's encouraged to retire so that he might be appointed to the vacant uh, Supreme Court seat at a time when the Republicans are advocating a new religious liberty law. And then it's leaked to the press that I am actually a Satanist. And when and where is the show? It opens, we're going to rehearsals March. It opens in April and closes May 7th. Uh, It's put together by the new colony theater but it will be shown it will be performed at the a place called the den on milwaukee fantastic norm Waddell, you got some time to stick around right for a couple more around. segments all right hey I after think the, even offer some commentary or something 
After the break, Oliver Camacho plays Monday evening quarterback and reviews Eugene Onegin. And then he hands off the ball to Norm, who's going to give you the layman's review of Carmen and the Magic Flute, all at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Hey, keep it locked right here, right now, WNUR 89.3 FM. From Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Hey, no PSAs tonight. Why? You might be asking. The reason is it is Phone-a-thon. Phone-a-thon is the one time during the year that we at WNUR ask you for your support. Really easy to do. Two ways. 847-866-WNUR is the number to call. 847-866-9687. Make it even easier for yourself. WNUR.org. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the link. We got great premiums we got merchandise we've got tickets we've got cds and there's actually frankly a lot of classical music cds that are here to be given away interesting fun fact here some celebrity djs that started on wnur would include some of the guys from ok go if you've ever listened to them as well as arcade fire and in the second promo spot i'm gonna let you know a couple other folks that have been djs on the show Opera class, sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback. George Cedarquist with Norm Waddell. Hi, George. Is it bizarre to hear your own voice here on the show? <clears throat> no, huh? I, I got to ask you, though, man, like I came to you with this idea. What was it? 18 months ago, and I was like, hey, we're doing this, like, opera sports crossover thing. You're awesome. Could you do the voiceovers? And you said yes. Yeah. Couldn't you have been like, yes, but you need to pay me, or no, I'm way too busy. I, I mean, I was just so thrilled you said yes. Because because you had a dream. You were you were trying to put something together that you thought had some merit. And, and here we are. Yeah. I, I actually like being part of uh, my favorite part of being an actor is uh, being play, being on the team, being part of the creative process. You know, I mean, it's been great because I always I send you the script of the name of the segment that we need or the little one sentence rundown, and I just let you run with it. And usually, you go like above and beyond the dream that I had. I send you a variety pack. Now, this you do. here's an interesting to that point. I also read CBS this morning. You, you know the CBS spots about what is original reporting? It's going further. It's where no one else will go. You're watching CBS this morning. That's my voice that you hear on there. Um, <clears throat> because I have done commercials and people who produ- who people who write and produce commercials, it's all about the nuance. It's all about the minutia. They'll take, it's all about one word having to be said. I did, uh, I used to do Boost. Uh, the, and, and in the thing we talked about, we're running three miles, walking, whatever, riding your bike. Uh, we, no, they used the word whatever. And the, the uh, people who own Boost 
had me back for like six months rereading these spots. And then finally someone asked the guy that was in charge, what is it that is not working for you? And he said, well, it's the way he says uh, whatever reminds me of my daughters when I tell them to clean up their room. Well, first of all, you could have brought that up like six months ago. (laughs) I wouldn't have made as much money, but, you know, it could have helped us all out. So, but when, when I send stuff to CBS, it's just send us an MP3, hmm. which is pretty amazing yeah. when, when people spend huge sums of money to uh, rent a studio and yeah. do things with such nuance. They, they, at CBS, they really don't like it when I give them too many. They just want three, you know, say this, you're watching CBS this morning. You're watching CBS this morning. Real news. And uh, so I would send a variety pack with right. like 12 different ways to say that. Yeah. They only want like, just no, 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 just give us three because then we have to think too much about. They basically make you edit it down because yeah. you do those 12 in your head, presumably, and then you have to cut it down yourself. You're watching CBS This Morning, real news. <laughs> This weekend, while Chicago Opera Theater was wrapping up its run of Stuart Copeland's The Invention of Morel, across town, the eighth show and final production of Lyric Opera of Chicago's current season was being enjoyed by our co-host, Oliver Camacho. But it sounds like it wasn't just the music that was giving delight. Let's hear his report from Oliver at Lyric. Besides the fact that Eugene Onegin is one of the most tuneful and crowd-pleasing operas in the standard canon, The main draw for Lyric's revival of the gorgeous and somewhat austere Robert Carson production would seem to be Anna Maria Martinez's role debut as Tatiana. Sunday afternoon found this beloved artist overpowered at times by the orchestra and measuring the most dramatic moments in the score with caution. That said, her tone was always beautiful and her her physicality of the role, at first girlish and anxiously energetic and later regal and poised, was entirely convincing. The Russian mezzo-soprano, Elisa Kolosova, in her American debut in the role of Olga, made exactly the right first impression. Kolosova has a forward-placed, evenly produced, dark and round tone that matched her youthful and coquettish stage presence. I hope we get to hear her again soon. She would make an ideal Charlotte in Berter, or in the title role of Tomas's Mignon. Dmitry Beloselsky. I think that's how you say his name, returned to the lyric after last season's Nabucco in the role of Prince Gremin. I always imagine Gremin to be a much older character than Tatiana, but then I forget that Tatiana is probably still in her early 20s in the third act, so even if Gremin looks to be in his early 40s, he's old enough. I only bring this up because I'm trying to find an excuse as to why Beloselsky's performance wasn't entirely satisfying. The aria was, in fact, delivered cleanly and with noble phrasing. It just didn't reach those profundo low notes easily. Neither disappointing nor triumphant, and I'm a jerk for saying so. I'm also a jerk for having to bring up the topic of Mariusz, Mariusz Kvitschen, one of my favorites. I'm beginning to worry about the direction his voice is going. I'm not a baritone, and I haven't studied this score that carefully, but I've always felt that it is possible to sing this role with the style and coolness of a leader singer and to pace the role so that you are only singing with thrust in the third act. Or to put it another way, that you could be a Don Giovanni or a Count Almaviva for most of the opera and only need to bring out your big boy Rodrigo voice for the final confrontation with Tatiana and maybe in the argument with Lenski in the ballroom scene. My beautiful, handsome Mariusz was already singing with aggression in his rejection of Tatiana, 
one of the most heartbreaking moments in the opera, also known as the friend zone aria. His tone, even in the first act, had some extra raspy noises in it, and he sounded like he was accommodating for the chords not coming together cleanly in the upper middle. Thankfully, this technical issue seemed to resolve itself later in the afternoon, and he saved his best for last. It was a bit of a disappointment because I've heard him sing this role before and have never thought Onegin presented any technical challenges for him so that I could just enjoy gazing at his face and his defined pectoral muscles. I will be hearing Martinez and Kvichin sing these roles again because I must get back to hear this show because of Charles Castronovo, the tenor, Castronovo uh, as Lensky. I've seen that name around and probably have even heard him on a Met broadcast, but I must have confused him with somebody like Giuseppe Filinozzi or somebody else who's in his 30s with an Italian-sounding name. Never again. Kashanova was the clear star of this production and merited the most enthusiastic ovation, both after his aria and at the curtain call. From his tender arioso to Olga, Yal Yubyuvas, to the concertata finale in the ballroom, Kashanova sang with a warm, healthy, and virile tone, sensitive where it needed to be, and with just enough rage to make you believe that he truly was betrayed. Kashanova's American. He has devastating, swarthy good looks and has already added roles like Roberto Devereaux, Alfredo, Rodolfo, and Hoffman to his credit, meaning to say that he is moving past the Nemorinos and Donatavios. Let's listen to some of Lenski's aria here from a concert I found on YouTube. I'm not sure exactly when it is from, but if any of you know, please feel free to comment on our SoundCloud or Facebook. Oh. 
Generally, it has been a great season for Lyric Opera of Chicago, but this is probably the only show where I felt like I wanted to come back right after I left the theater. If anything, to see if uh, Anna Maria Martinez can sing with more abandon, but really it doesn't matter as long as Castronovo is in good voice and Kvichin maintains his delectable physique. Eugene Onegin runs through March 20th at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Opera class, sports radio crass, this is Opera Box Score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback. Oliver Camacho there, reporting from Lyric Opera. Norm Waddell on the show. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. So, Norm, you Live. saw... <laughs> you saw... Two different operas. Mm. Well, when I, when I first came to Chicago 26 years ago, I, I took a season of everything in town. I took like, a, when first year I did like the, the Lyric, and then the next year I did Steppenwolf, the next year I did the uh, Chicago Symphony. Uh, and I saw four operas back then. I, I don't remember the names of all of them 26 years ago, but there was a French one that, I, that was my favorite. Um, so when you invited me to come be on the show, and so I thought I would go see a couple operas so that I could speak uh, intelligently about them. Although I'm not, a, I'm not a, a f opera aficionado. You're you're the best audience member, intelligent, curious, and you know next to nothing about the real ins and outs of the art form. Yeah, that's a compliment. Oh, thank you. So you saw Magic Flute. That was the first one you saw. I, the, the way I went to go see these was uninformed and uneducated, and I, I didn't want to read anybody's opinion about them, or I, I didn't really want to read any of the, like the program materials that explain what you should expect from it or what you should, why it came about. Right. I wanted to just have a raw experience. So the first one I saw was the Magic Flute, and uh, <clears throat> they had a house, a complete house in the middle of the stage, the sets in opera are just amazing. These, and you say they keep changing this out for different shows? Right. I mean, they'll have multiple productions of different operas but all so running. But they're so huge. And they have a huge crew, man, piece. to move wow. them all. That's why it costs that much to set in the box. Seat. Exactly. Uh, so I, I, I knew nothing about the, the Magic Flute, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. And here's my first impression. For both operas, Carmen and the Magic Flute, uh, the music is sacred. There were a couple opportunities in both these operas for natural sound. In the, uh, in the flute, there's a whole bunch of people that come onto the lawn to watch people perform in the backyard. For me, I'm, I would have expected to hear ch children laughing or giggling while they run, or the uh, adults as they get seated having a conversation. I got the impression, I don't know the facts, but I got the impression that someone concluded that the, the music is so sacred that you would it'd be like throwing spitballs in the middle of this music. 
Although it made it almost like watching a black and white film, a silent film, uh, because if the, if the whole thing was resting on this music. And, and, and uh, the choreography in both of them was just magical. The, um, and some of the, some of the, uh, the way this, the, the, the shots were set up, they're not shots because they're a play, but uh, the painting of a picture like at the end of Carmen with the, the way they did the uh, pedestrians in the back, the people in the background, and the, they had a bull, somebody playing a bull. Right. But in, in The Magic Flute, because I didn't know the play, I got the impression that the two lead characters were joining ISIS. <laughs> and I thought, this must be brand new. Because, I mean, they had a, house, a whole house like it was in suburban Chicago. And uh, <laughs> I didn't realize, I only realized afterwards when I read the materials that that was about the, the goddess. Uh, I thought, well, I wonder how people are going to react to this, having the two lead people. And the bird, you know, the guy who was uh, playing the bird? Right. He, all of his, because he was so egotistical, all of his lines sounded like Trump. Um, every, every grandiose thing he said reminded me of Trump. So then when you went to see... Then I find see... out how old it is and all that stuff after. <laughs> then you went to see Bizet's Carmen, and you thought it was about a used car salesman by that no, logic, no, right? No, 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 no. No, that was, that's a pretty simple story. It was easy to follow. Um, what, what do you, but I have to tell you, in the Magic Flute, with that house, every piece of choreography and lighting that went on inside that house was fascinating. That was yeah. really a fascinating. Yeah. And I happened, when I went to Carmen, I happened to sit by two people who uh, were old-timers with opera. Okay. They didn't like the Magic Flute they, because they thought it, they, somebody made it silly. They they just thought well and I, their 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 definition of it was it was too suburban to have that like suburban house and the, they didn't get it at all they were more uh, enthralled with what happened in Carmen. What general question? What did you expect to get from your experience at these operas, and what did you actually get? Like, what were your expectations going in, and what were the results coming out? I was I was moved and by both of them, uh, especially the, with the the risks and chances and and that they took with uh, the magic flute to contemporize it uh, as they did. I don't even know if that's a word. It is. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that's much more risky than the production of Carmen, which I think everyone would agree was a pretty traditional, maybe a more dance heavy production because it's being directed by a choreographer, it Rob was, Ashford. The choreography was beautiful. Yeah, and it should be. It should be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you hand out, had to hand out some letter grades, like for the singing, what would you what would you well, say? The, the you singing, the, uh, the singing, I would remember is from Carmen. Yeah. The uh, performance elements I would remember from the Magic Flute, okay. and so I, I would give the Magic Flute for the production, the choreography, and the lighting effects, and all that stuff. I'd give that. I'd give it an A plus. Yeah. Um, and having said that, those two people that were. Uh, Conventional opera kind of people didn't like it at all. Yeah, uh, Carmen. Uh, to be honest, I, as I told you earlier, I I didn't hear anything that the female lead sang that really just like tickled me in any way, shape, or form. I loved the song that the guy sang about how he had the flower that she had given mm-hmm. when he was in prison. He had he kept the flower that she gave him before, and the reason that I liked it, opera to me just. To, first impression uh it's kind of like the olympics and i there's not a whole it's perfection there's not a whole i don't hear a whole lot of vulnerability and i really kind of miss that 
I was talking about Star Search, where everybody got off on the trick that uh, there had to be a high note in your song, and it, you had to. The, we had to witness the human being trying to reach that high note and get involved. And would they make it? And will she make it? Will he? Will he reach that top note? But but uh, it really was fascinating. To it made you like part of what they were doing, to wonder if they were going to make it, if they were going to reach that note. I think that's totally a part of opera as well, is that, you know, these arias, these songs are built around the high notes. That's what really gives us the shivers. And man, it's difficult to do that. And there's always that question, are they going to hit the high note? Is that athlete going to make the slam dunk? Is she yeah. going to skate over the slope? That's I just don't so have many a doubt things. that they're not going to hit it because everything is so, everything's so perfect. It's, it's so, so magical. developed and, and, yeah. and yeah, manicured. Say. But if you if you were if you go to the opera all the time, I'm sure that there's been an opera someone's been sitting at where they didn't hit. I mean, look at you're going to talk later about the Oscars, but who would have thought? Yeah, where people tank. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> somebody doesn't hit the note. I'm so glad that you went to see those two shows. And they were completely different. Very different. But they, but they were. Yeah. They were. They were motivation to uh, to be more conscious of what's going on at Lyric. I'm glad to hear that they're having a good season. After the break, the two-minute drill returns. You get all the opera headlines you need. And then, story time, don't miss what I'm going to ask Norm to read. Stick around. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. And hey, guess what? This week, no PSAs on the show. You're going to want to know why. The answer is Phonathon. It's the one week during the year when we fantastic folks at WNUR ask you fantastic folks, our listeners, to open your wallets and just give us a little bit of money. Really, really simple. Here's how it works. You call this number, 847-866-WNUR or 847-866-866. 9687 operator standing by to take that call. Even easier, WNUR.org. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Hey, look, our entire operating budget comes from Phonathon. It started two days ago. The goal, $30,000. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly. We need your help. Make that call. Go to the website. Don't forget, a lot of premiums to be had, a lot of merchandise. I got a great coffee mug last year like a big 16 ounce coffee mug does a really nice cup of cocoa we got concert tickets we got cds a lot of classical music on the cd playlist hey did you know that there's a couple celebrity djs that started at wnur Derek carter the famous chicago house dance music producer and also ira glass from this american life also started right here on wnur Please think about donating, think about making that call, think about going to the website. Right now, time for the two-minute drill. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know in two minutes tops. 
Audience member Jenny Hines was turned away from an orchestra concert at Lincoln Center last week when she refused to remove her from her jacket, a sign reading, quote, No, in the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Composer Laura Cartman's opera about tennis great Billie Jean King and her 1973 victory over Bobby Riggs will be one of six new operas featured in First Take, the biennial workshop co-produced by the industry and L.A. Opera Company, and Wild Up, a contemporary music ensemble. The opera's title is Balls. Arizona Opera made history last Saturday night with Riders of the Purple Sage, its first world premiere of its first ever commissioned opera. It's composed by Craig Bomler with a libretto by Stephen Mark Cohn. Speaking of Arizona, Alan Periello has been announced as the new head of music at Minnesota Opera. He's currently in his fifth season at Arizona Opera as head of music and the director of the opera studio, as well as starting as the director of the Young Artist Program at the Glimmerglass Festival this summer. Palm Beach Opera has announced its 2017-2018 season, which includes a production of Leonard Bernstein's Candide as part of the composer's birthday centenary activities. Heading overseas, the staff at the Badisches Staatstheater in Karlsruhe, Germany, have called a warning strike to receive a 6% pay rise. Over to the disabled list, on Facebook, baritone Dmitry Vorostovsky posted that he's postponing scheduled recitals in Russia and is canceling his Wiener Staatsober recital March 7th. He's continuing treatment for a brain tumor. Not on this disabled list is tenor Jonas Kaufman, who recently sang at the general rehearsal for the annual Vienna Opera Ball. And on this day in 1848, English composer Hubert Perry was born. That is the two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist. Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. It is Opera Box Score on WNUR. George Cedarquist here hanging out with Norm Waddell. Hey, George. Our announcer, you're going to recognize his voice from all of the... uh, Bumpers. Bumpers, that's what they're called. Bumpers, yeah. That's what they're called. They're so important to just help our audience know what's coming next. And they're kind of the glue for the show. I don't know how they do Well, and that, if, I mean, you could make that your mantra for life. Life is like a bumper. Coming up next. <laughs> you know. So true. Uh, you know. I don't have writer. I'm not Fallon, George. I, I have no, it's to, fine. It's, nobody to, is. I have to throw nobody things is. out. I prefer, I prefer Kimmel land. myself anyway. I, oh, I he was prefer, funny. I much prefer. We'll get to the Oscars in a second. Coming uh, up, Oscar, Oscar talk. Let, let me just say really quickly about the two-minute drill. Alan Periello, who I've met, by the way, he's like my age. Mm-hmm. This guy, he literally can do no wrong. You know, he has done fifth, he's in his fifth season at Arizona Opera. He's about to start at the Glimmerglass Festival, one of this country's biggest opera festivals. And now he's moving to be the head of music at Minnesota Opera. That is a big, big organization. This guy's mm-hmm. on the up and up. I will say, interestingly enough, Ryan Taylor, who was the general manager at Arizona, now at Minnesota, you've got to wonder if Taylor perhaps is starting to, I don't know, rob the cradle a little bit or start to bring on some of those guys from Arizona with him over to Minnesota and try and rebuild on a larger scale a lot of the very deserved success that he has had over at Arizona. How about, okay, so Leonard Bernstein turns 100 uh, next year. Mm. And so opera companies are producing 
a lot of his pieces. Mm-hmm. Candide is being done in many opera houses around the country. My only thing about that is I feel like we should always be doing Leonard Bernstein. We shouldn't have to wait for his 100th anniversary. Everybody's always looking for a hook. You know? Something I, yeah, to exactly. hang Exactly. On. But I also think we just shouldn't be doing Candide all the time. You know? West Side Story, Mass, which is a fabulous religious piece by Bernstein, Wonderful mm-hmm. Town. You know, that's more kind of on the musical theater end, yeah. I suppose. I think all these pieces belong in an opera house. I think they should be done much more. Hey, Norm, how about this this lady at Lincoln Center in New York City? She goes to the opera, excuse me, she goes to an orchestra concert, and she's wearing a sign on her jacket, which says, quote, no, in the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America, and she wasn't let into the theater. Well, I, I mean, that's my stance, is that's my response when people ask me, well, he, he won the election, he's your president. No, he's not. I'm, I'm, this, I'm never going to accept uh, what the fascists. Right. Um, and it's uh, it's just ironic that she's thrown out for having that on her jacket, and Trump's all over the First Amendment. He wants to modify it so newspapers can be sued for things they say, and he wants to limit free speech. Uh, I mean, she didn't. The jacket didn't say fire, so let her sit down. Let us know what you're thinking. You can email us operaboxscore@gmail.com. Even better, tweet us at operaboxscore. Norm. Before the show, I gave you the heads up that one of my kids' favorite books is Good Night Moon by Margaret Wise Brown, illustrated by Clement Hurd. I must have read this book 3,000 times. But if there's one person who can read it better than me, it would have to be you. Well, thank you. So here's my question for you is what kind of different takes, what kind of different reads Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Could you, you give do, us? Do you want to see what you oh, come up with Oh, so I got to direct you, is that it? Well, you come up with, uh, 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 there's like jargon that you would use. So I would want to know, do you want it done like a, like a poet, which would be, that's my term for someone who would just off the top of their head be intimate and kind of say it like, in the green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon. And a picture of a cow jumping over the moon. So all that's kind of more like a versus the visa guy. Uh, It's everywhere you want to be. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon. So it's also getting a little darker (laughs) with a bolder voice. Exactly. How about about the guy who's selling you like chewing tobacco or like cheap In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon. This would be somebody that'd been around a bit. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon, curiously, and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs and two little kittens and a pair of mittens. <laughs> so it's very, it's very, it feels very intimate. It feels very friendly. Well, that's the, I mean, that's like being talking right into someone's ear. Yeah, yeah. What about the political read, though? Skip ahead a little bit, maybe. <clears throat> Give us some new text, but the more like the, the political read that, that you have for that 3 a.m. ad. Uh, well, I do, I do a lot of AARP advocacy stuff. Okay. <clears throat> um, in the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow that jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs, and neither one of them knew what they were doing. <laughs> so they're always, like, cynical. You know, but you've done comic. Have you done any comic reads as well? Do you ever have to do that, or do you ever? Does it always have to be the serious or the confidential? I'm trying to think of something that you might have worked on that was more 
No, it must a anything beer. they would ask me to read would probably be more wry. Like the, the the the, I would just be saying stuff while the pictures tell whatever you know. Right. Do right. the humor. Yeah. I would be the serious. I would be treating it very serious, and people would be doing silly stuff in mm-hmm. the video. I see. I got it. I got it. Yeah. Like the the uh, the uh, uh, where you go gamble casino the, the casino. casino ads yeah. Can you can you give us a sexy take on Good Night Moon? I, I feel dirty asking you to do this. <clears throat> well, it, there would sort of be an Alec Ball. It's genuine Chevrolet. In the in the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon, <laughs> and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs. <laughs> now that's a club I want to go to. It's called Three Little Bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's what are some of the more bizarre ads that you've done or the more bizarre reads? For years, I was the voice of Aleve. The standard line for Aleve is, Aleve can stop pain all day with just two pills. Bear, which owns Aleve, had done research and found that uh, the medication actually helped with arthritis stiffness. So they brought in the copy that said, Aleve can stop pain all day with just two pills. It also relieves morning stiffness. And... (laughs) And I tried in every way imaginable to drop a hint that, did you really, was this really what? And I, <laughs> I said to the engineer, hey, Jimmy, maybe you and me could be the morning stiffness guys because these are the people that did the double mint twins, but nobody, nobody picked up on. The spot eventually aired, but they actually had a, a live a woman came on and talked on camera about yeah. her... Uh, or arthritis stiffness being helped. I had totally forgotten about the double mint twins. Yeah. Now that is one of the first references uh, from yesteryear that I genuinely remember. Most icons in advertising were invented in Chicago. The, the really? Pills, I, I work with the Pillsbury Doughboy all the time. Joby Cerny at Cerny America. He okay. runs a studio here. Okay. Um, many of the streets around here. Uh, uh, Whipple. Uh, um, what are the appliances? Um, there's a street named after the appliances. Yeah, I know Whipple. I know Whipple Street. Um, I'm not a man. Um, it's a Sears appliance. Huh. What's the name of Sears appliances? Uh, Maytag, Whirlpool. No, um, no, no, no. It's worse than that. Sears has gone out of business now, so it's yeah. But there's uh, streets. There are streets all over Sealy. I think there's a yeah. The oh, Sealy. Yes. If Sealy. you well at the merchandise mart, you know they have all the heads of uh, Montgomery yeah. Ward and. And right. the city is full of uh, advertising names that are used on for streets. Um, oh, I, I, did, I, I narrated I narrated uh, a season or two of uh, the unexplained on A and E, and the background story on that is that everything in the unexplained, of course, had to remain unexplained through the whole show. And right. their trick was that anytime they uh, like spontaneous human combustion. Do you, do you know the typical profile for a spontaneous human combustion victim? <laughs> Please tell me. An obese woman alcoholic <laughs> who smokes. <laughs> so she's sitting at home uh, drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels, eating cabbage soup, and fires up a cigarette. What do you think is going to happen to this lady? Uh, but anyway, it the has Hindenburg, to be, right? <laughs> yeah, it has to remain unexplained. Okay. So if we, at any time we had something that looked like it was about to be explained, then we would say, so we talked to Joe Walsh of the Skeptics Society in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> they, would, 
they would always go get somebody who was with the Skeptic Society. Oh, my Lord. Oh when my weather Lord. changed history, I narrated that. When the weather changed history, that was on A and E or uh, I forget where it is. Weather aired, Channel. Yeah, I think or... it was. No, it was the Weather Channel. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been caught off guard when like you're just you're just screwing around on the internet or you're watching TV and like one of your things pops up, or you're in the other room and you hear your own voice? Oh, well, you just think check. <laughs> <laughs> But you record all these from your home, right? Well, that's a, an amazing thing. For years and years, everybody had to go to a studio, and now I have. Uh, then, then they came. They invented ISDN. ISDN is uh, it makes it's technology that makes use of two telephone lines. It was developed for um, mass distribution of uh, of data uh, between corporations. And audio engineers found out that it was a great way to... Frank Sinatra, when he did his duets before he died, uh, those were done, many of them, on ISDN. Hmm. If somebody could be in... Because someone can be in Paris, and if you have an ISDN box, it'll sound like you're right in their, in their studio. When I did Subway, so uh, the writers were in Boston, the recording studio was in New York City, and I was in my closet in Chicago. Wow. Not That's, in my underwear. I, everybody, <laughs> and when you do a home studio, everybody wants to always ask what you're wearing. <laughs> We're going to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Norman, it has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, to have you. you on the show. My Thanks pleasure. so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we always wrap it up with good call, bad call, something great that's happened in opera land or in the world in general, and a bad call, of course, something dreadful. You have a good call or a bad but call Norm to went to the opera and enjoyed it. That's a great call. Yeah. My bad call would be the Oscars. I don't know if it's that bad. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's not Kim Jong somebody blowing up a nuclear bomb. I mean, it's... Uh, they made a mistake. The sad thing to me was that they blamed the uh, the actor uh, Warren Beatty. Yeah, the, yeah. The, these people started rattling off senile, senile. He's that's, senile. That's just rude. That's just yeah. rude. Look, look, though, Hollywood is built on movies. Hollywood should never be doing anything live. Well, you know what I mean? It should all be a film. It should all be a movie. That guy from Chicago that they when Jimmy Kimmel brought them in in the busload. He's uh, oh yeah, he's that was gone cool. Viral. The, that was cool. Yeah. That was, that was very cool. My good call was um, Austin, Texas. I was there for the weekend for a friend's wedding, an opera singer, actually, and just had a grand old time, probably because it was just me and my wife, not the kids. Oh, there you go. But the food was fantastic. Barbecue, yeah. great weather, 75 degrees, and amazing music. Did you pick up on a Texas accent? I, I, I didn't. I, I, I heard some. Do you know how to do a Texas I accent? I couldn't possibly begin. You just lock one side of your jaw. <laughs> you just lock the left side or the right side of your jaw and you talk. I'm stealing that the next time I need to imitate Slim Pickens. Hey, that's it for this week's show. Our announcer is, of course, Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R... S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. And don't forget to see his show, which is going to be later on this spring. Scapegoat, coming up in April at uh, the Den Theater. I play a Bernie Sanders kind of senator who uh, they're passing the religious liberty law, and I turn out to be a Satanist. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stucy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno. 
written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, or tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, leave a review on iTunes. Hey, look, it'll take you like 30 seconds. It's the cheapest and fastest way for you to help promote our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera in your best announcer's voice. We're back next Monday at 9 Central when stage director and host of the Indie Opera Podcast, Walker Lewis, joins us live. Argo Radio is up next with DJ Joe, DJ Steve. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.